Right. Today's daf is daf nun hey. We are holding at the bottom of an dalit amud based at the two dots, two lines before the end of the of the page. So we we had discussed yesterday that there are actually two versions in the Torah of the aseres adibros. You have the version that's in parshas Yisro, and there is the version that is in parshas Eschanan and Sefer Devarim. Now they might, and we see they they do have uh, differences in terms of the verbiage, and uh, even though the Gemara refers to them as the first Dibros and the uh, last Dibros, it's not clear that the timeline represents the first set of Luchos that were broken and the second Luchos that Moshe brought down the day after Yom Kippur. Not necessarily, and that Gemara will discuss that. But, uh, and, and so let's take a look, a little bit of a Gadata. Shaul Rabbi Chanina, Ben Agil Es Rabbi Chiebar Abba, Mipnei Ma, Bedebris Rishonos, Lo Nemar Bahem Tov, or Bedebris Achronos, Nebahem Tov. So you want to know why is it in the earlier version of the Luchos, the word Tov, good, does not appear, yet you find by Kibbut Aim in the second Luchos, it's a Laman Yitav, that the man yitav loch that it will be, it'll be good for you. The word good appears. So basically, why is the word tov in the second luchos and not in the first luchos? And the uh, base Aaron points out there's also seventeen more words in the second luchos than there are in the first one, and seventeen also is the gematria of tov. tov. Anyway, so that so he understood what he's asking is like what is the pshat that in the first luchos that Moshe got, it says the word, uh, it does not say the word tov. And in the second luchos, that, I mean, the way that were given to Moshe, the one after the first one broke, it does say the word tov. That's how, he, that's what he understood he was asking. And he responded like this. He says, he says as follows, lama tov. He said, uh, before you ask me, that why does it say the word tov in the second luchos? Shaleni imnem rhyme tov. Ask me if I know even if it does say the word tov. Now, at first glance, uh, im tov im lav. Shaleni yodeh, because I don't know imnem rhyme tov im lav lav. But uh, I don't know if it does or not. But klachetzel Rabbi Tanukum Barachanilo, you go to Rabbi Tanukum Barachanilo. Shehayaragel etzel Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi that he used to study by the great Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Shehayaboki baagada and he was a, a he was an expert in homiletical portions of the Torah, and uh, he can answer the question for you. So at first glance, it's very difficult. What do you mean? These are Amoroyim over here. They knew Kola Torah Kula. So what do you mean? I don't know if it says the word Tov in the second uh, Luchos or not. So what, what's he saying? So one shot is like this. As I, as I pointed out, we know that we say it every Friday night in the Chadorish, Zachar v'shamar b'dibur echad. That even though it says Zachar in one version of the Luchos, and when it says Shamar in one version of the Luchos, that when Hashem gave the instructions to Moshe, he was able to say the words Zohar and Shomer in one word. We heard Zohar and Shomer, something that a human being can't do. We perceived both versions, even though one was said. But what was actually handed to Moshe in terms of written, in writing? 
So he says, I don't know. I, you're saying is, it's partial to you that the, there's a first set that did not have the word Tov, and the second set does have the word Tov written into it. I don't know. Maybe these just two reflect the two versions that we heard, Bedibur Echad, but in terms of what actually was written in, in, the, fir, in the first version, was written in the second version, I don't necessarily know that that is how it's being recorded, even though it's recorded differently in Yisro as it is in... Uh, so go to somebody who deals with like Agadotov. So Azlagabay, so... so um, uh, what's his name? Rav Chanina Ben Agil went to see Rav Tanakhum. So Amalei, Mimenoi Loi Shamati. So Rav Tanakhum answered him that from Rav and Levi, I never heard a pshat. But Elakach Amali, Shmuel Bar Nachum, but I did hear something from Shmuel Bar Nachum, who was uh, the uh, the maternal brother uh, of uh, they they shared a mother of Rav Acha Rabbi Chanina. Avi Imo, and some say that uh, he was the maternal grandfather. All right, so some say he was a maternal uh, brother. A maternal, no, some say it was a maternal uncle, I'm sorry. He was a maternal uncle, and some say it was a maternal grandfather of Rav Achabar Khanin Loi. He said, So he said like this. He's, he understood clearly that the two versions are reflecting the first Luchos and the second Luchos. And since Hashem knew that the first Luchos ultimately would be broken, he did not want to put the word Tov in the first Luchos, Right? Why not? So what if they're going to get broken? Why not have the word Tov in there? So It would be, God forbid, implied that some, the breaking of the word Tov, it means that, that some kind of, uh, the Tov has now ceased for the Jewish people because it broke. And Hashem did not want to give that. The Maral explains that the two Luchos reflect different relationships. There's a relationship before Adam Arishon before the sin, and there's Adam Arishon after the sin that are being reflected. So therefore, if the word Tov appeared in the, in the first Luchos, Tov is going to imply perfection. That the only way you can release, reach Tov is through perfection. Right? But that, it, it, we know that after the sin, we can't really reach true perfection because we have chet with us. And when Akash Baruch was sending the message, you can still reach tov, you can still be good, even without perfection, even after chet, and therefore it's not included in the first luchos, it is included in the second luchos. Some kind of explanation is like that. That's, I think, the Maral. I'm Rabbi Yeshua, I wrote a test with Chalomo. Levi said, quoting this because we just mentioned it before, he said, if you see the word test in a dream, the letter test, Simon Yafel, that's a good sign. My time, what's the name? Email from the Chsev Tov. That's the connection from before. Because the word test represents the word Tov. So you saw something that represented good, so it's a good sign. The, but this psukim, that the word test is contained within, which is a neg- is negative. For Ema, we had uh, in Megillah, we brought this down. That you, I will sleep, uh, I'll sweep you up with a broom of destruction, right? So you see the word test there is referring to something very negative. When it says hot test come, you know, you saw one test. That person has four tests in them. So we're talking about something with one test. One test is, is a concept, Tov represents uh, something good. So Ema, uh, Tumah, Bishuleha, 
Tumasa Vishulea in Eicha, I believe it is. Uh, the Pazik says that she has, uh, has, has, has her Klai is like a woman that has her Tuma impurity on the hem of her dress, of her skirt. So, but you see over there, it uses one test and it's identified with something negative. So when it says test base coming in, you're right. So I'm not saying just you saw the word test in the dream that could have negative connotations. I don't know where you saw a test and a base. So when it says AI, Ema, let's say, Tavu ba'aret Shareha, Pazak says also in Echa that when Hashem destroyed the Beis Amigdash, the gates of the Beis Amigdash sunk directly into the ground. Tavu. Tavu is test base. So therefore, test base also has negative connotation. Ella the more goes back to the original answer. That you see a test, test on its own means something good. We said, aye, there's words that have pejorative or negative meanings with the word test in it. So Ella, so is like this, holy pasach, boakosah, is like this, is that, very important you saw it, is that when the first time a letter appears or a word appears, it's the true definition of that word or letter. The first time the word test appears in the Torah, in the Torah Interestingly enough, it says when Hashem saw the light, he said, Ki tov. It's the first test in the Torah. So since the first test is associated with which word? Therefore, you see a test in a dream, that's the definition of tov. He says, therefore, so then, until that you don't, you, you, uh, that, that the test doesn't appear, so you see test associated, so look, see test, it's associated with the word good. You're going to see, it means you see the word Hesped in a dream. Hesped is a eulogy, so you would think that's a frightening premonition of something. No. Hesped, chasu alem in the Shamayim. The word Ches and Hey are interesting. What's the word? Interchangeable. And therefore, chasu alem in Shamayim. Means they're having. Uh, they, they, they had mercy on you in Shemayim, Upadahu, and they redeemed you from evil, from something bad happening to you. So therefore, but it's only if you saw it in writing. If you actually see a Hesped, somebody get, delivering a eulogy, that does not bode well for the person. Let's go weiter. So we had in the Mishnah, we said that even though the word Behema or the word Shor or Chamor is used association with Psukim, However, we brought different drushes to show you that apply, it applies to uh, other kinds of animals, whether they be wild animals or even um, birds. Chayim chayv of are included as well. And in there was, we're talking about kilayim, different forms of kilayim. Kilayim of two schlepping, two schle- animals schlepping a burden, or kilayim of uh, a mixed breeding of either animals or, right, Right. One says like this. Amarish Lakish. Lakish says like this. Kanshana Rebbe. When we learned this Mishnah, Rebbe taught us Tanigal Tavas of Isyoni. That you have these three species. You have a, a rooster, you have a peacock, or you have a, some say it's a pheasant, some say it's a partridge. All right. Kalayim Zebazet. Even though they seemingly are all from the fowl family and they might be similar. But nevertheless, they're all three different, uh, uh, in, uh, separate species. And if you try and mate them together, then you have violated the prohibition of Kilayim. What is Pshita? That would seem to be obvious. 
He says, no, I'm Rabbi Chanina, since they actually, they grow together, they nurture together, they live among each other, so you might think the fact that they get along so well with one another, around one another, that's indicative of what? Of them actually being some type of shared species, so therefore, maybe they're considered one species, Kamash Malan, they are not. Amar Shmuel, Avaz v'Avaz Abar, you had a goof and a wild goose. So you have a goose and a wild goose. And you, Zebazet, uh, and you mated them together. You are in violation of Kilayim. All right? So, So he says, my time, what's the reason that because one's domesticated and one is wild, that that automatically means it's considered to be like two different species. Maybe because one has a long beak and one has a short beak. Right? All right. But based on that, we know that there's different types of camels. There is a gamla parso. You have your Persian camel and you have your gamla tayo. You have your Arabian camel, also known, I believe, as the dromedaris. The dromedaris, the, the Arabian camel. And the Gemara knew for a fact that there wasn't kilayan between the two different types of camels. Even though, hi olim kaye, one has a thick neck, vahai katin kaye, and one has a, 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 a thin neck. Nevertheless, you still say it's one species. So if one has a long beak and one has a short beak, that should not be enough to indicate that there's a difference between the domesticated and the non-domesticated type of goose. So Morris says, You're going to tell me by the camels, because one's got a thick neck, one's got a thin neck, that's enough to say that it's kalim? No, it's not. And therefore, what? Even though there's some small differences between certain types of uh, the, uh, varieties, it should not be enough to make it a separate species. So Moses says, no, that's not the difference. The difference is, is this. One, the wild goose has its testicles, its scrotum is on the outside of its body. Whereas the domesticated goose has its scrotum on the inside of its body. That's a huge difference, the Gemara says, in terms of its reproductive organs, and that's why they're considered to be uh, different uh, species. Rapapa Amar, another difference. Is that the wild goose can only carry one egg per gestation, whereas a domestic goose can carry multiple eggs per gestation, and that's a difference, a significant difference, which allows us to view this as two separate species. If a person mated two different sea creatures, all right? So we're gonna see that this is not just on land, the prohibition of kilayim exists, but if a person uh, mated two different aquatic creatures, Loka, you still get Malkus for violating the laws of Kilai. My time, what's the reason? So I'm Rav Adabar Abba, Mishmei Ula Asya Lemine Lemine Mi Yabosha. 
is that when it talks about the uh, dry land species, it uses the word laminae or continent species. When it uses the word, it talks about the aquatic uh, creatures, it uses the word mineo. So we learn out that whatever applies by the mineo of the dry land also applies by the mineo of the aquatic creatures, and therefore there is kilime in the water as well. Now, let's explain this as simply as we can, as it's a lot of raid over here, but we'll just try and explain it. Right. Boy Rachva, Rachva had the following Shiloh. Hamanig be'iza le'shibuto. Let's say a person threw a rope around a goat that's on dry land by the bank of the river, and he threw the other rope around a large shibuta fish, which actually is interesting enough, also is called the goat of the water, but I don't think that's the piece that we're focusing on here. We're just focusing on, it's a combination between a, a, a land animal and an aquatic animal, and you tie the two ropes on a burden, on a wagon, and now the force of both of them are propelling, are causing the burden, the wagon, to move. The question is, we know that there's a prohibition of shor on two land species that you put together, that you in violation of the laws of Kilayim, if you have them, uh, there's a, uh, there is a prohibition. So here too, the question is, now that this wagon is being hitched onto these two, uh, one being a land uh, animal, one being an aquatic animal, does that also create a law of a violation of kilayim? Now, what's the, what's the what's the what's the reason to say yes, and what's the reason to say no? Anytime there's an iboye, iboye, that means a shaila. So, what's the shaila? What are the two starting here of the shaila? So, mahu me aminan kevan the iza loy nachis lebeyam. Do we say that a goat cannot go into the realm of the of the of the ocean? The shibuta and the shibuta fish, lo salakli abasha, cannot enter into dry land, so therefore, lo klum avid, you have not accomplished anything. Since these are completely separate realms, the one animal cannot enter the, real, the realm of the other one, and therefore that's not considered to have done anything in terms of the violation, right? That you can't call it yachdav, that together they're in violation, because they're not together. One cannot enter into the realm of the other, Oh, Dilma, Hashta, Mio, Kamani. What do we say? Listen, the outcome at the end is between the efforts of both of them is what? That they're together, they're That together, they're pulling, they're that they've pulled the wagon. The efforts pulled the wagon. And that is enough to create the violation. The Ramosha wrote a safer on, 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 on Talmud. It's called Dibra, the Dibros Moshe. And in the Dibros Moshe, the way Rav Moshe explains the Shiloh, he says like this, the Torah tells you you're not allowed to work the two animals together, right? What is the primary focus? Is the focus the fact that you're fusing the efforts of the two animals together, you join the two animals together, that's the focus of the prohibition? Or is it the outcome of the uh, prohibition? The outcome is that you have now caused a burden to move based on the efforts of the two animals. So what makes it the yachtav? Is it the yachtav the action itself, or is it the outcome is the yachtav? Says that's the shaila over here. If you look at it, the action, you can't say that this action is bringing them together, because the action is not bringing them together. They're two separate uh, domains. 
Or do you say it's the outcome? What's the outcome? That's Yachtav. They, the joint efforts moved it, therefore you are in violation. That was the Shiloh. Okay? Now, Maskele Ravina. Ravina, this question is a very difficult question. Again, we're not going to spend a lot of time developing it, but his question is as follows. Elameato. He said, let me ask you a question. There's another form of kilayim. You don't have a lot of mixed seeds. You don't have a lot of plant seeds together that causes them to grow, having an impact on one another. So let's say you took El Chiber, the person took Chita Usaora Biyado. This opinion holds that that is enough to create kilayim. So he took a wheat kernel and he took a barley kernel in, hand, in his hand, but he was stood on the border of Eretz Yisrael and Chutz Laaretz. Bezara Chita Baaretz, and he uh, planted the Chita in Eretz Yisrael, and he planted the Seora in Chutz Laaretz. So now, are you going to tell me that you are in violation here? Now, the key point over here, which the one is going to right away jump on, is Kilaim is, is a, a land, is a, is a, is a mitzvah, Kilaim is a mitzvah that's totally in the agriculture, in the land. It's mitzvah tluyba aretz. Therefore, what? We know that mitzvahs are tluyba aretz are only chayev in Eretz Yisrael. So basically, what he's asking is like this. The act itself is clearly done in two different domains. So you have not fused these two through the action. But at the end of the day, when they grow close enough together, the barley will impact on the wheat. So now, but he knows, he takes it as Dabra Pasha. It's Pasha over there, you have not, you're not in violation. Well, if it's Pasha, you're not in violation. Clearly, we see that it's not an outcome-based Avera in Kilayim. It's, it's based in the, in the vehicle, how you got to the outcome. And if the vehicle from the outcome cannot be viewed as fused, then we don't look at the outcome as a violation of the fusion. So why should it be different in the case of the animals? That is the question that he was asking. Make sense to you? So, uh, so, so, you're going to tell me, of course you're not chayv. So, Amri, the Bnei Yeshiva said, how can you compare it? In the case of the seeds, only Eretz Yisrael, where you put the one seed, is the place of chayv. Outside of Eretz Yisrael, where you put the other seed, is lo malkam chayuva. So, when you're not coming from a place where there's a chayuva in both areas, I understand you're not going to be chayyad, even if at the end of the day, one of the things are going to impact on the other one, but one's a place of chayyad, one's not a place of chayyad. That's not the case in the case of the aquatic animal and the land animal. In both areas, we said that the chayyad applies in both areas. So when the chayyad applies in both areas, you can fuse the outcomes to make it chayyad, but it's different when both places they're not, one place they're not chayyad, one place they are. So you cannot ask me the kasha from the case of the seeds. So he says, In both the cases of the shibuta, of the large fish, and the case of the goat, are a place of chiyuv, and maybe a person can still be liable for having uh, joined them together, even though it's through the outcome and it's different realms in terms of where they are, but both realms are chayev. So that is what the Moore's rebuttal to his point is, and the shaila still is unresolved. We are now beginning the sixth parak of Meseches Babakam, Hakainis. Zagdeil the Mishnah, Hakainis, and the person brought sheep into the pen. 
and he locked it appropriately. Now Rashi learned before, he locked it in a way that a normal wind would not be able to blow it down. For Yatsa, and somehow the animal escaped, again, not through the negligence of the owner. The owner locked it in an appropriate locking. For Yatsa, Ezeka, Potter, the owner will not have to pay for damages in such a situation because he did, the Pastor said, he didn't guard it, he did guard it, he's not going to be Chayyab. Now, obviously, if you locked it inappropriately, so then Vyatsa Vizikin got out, escaped, and, and, and caused damage, Chayv, then he'll have to pay in such a situation. Let's say he locked it appropriately, and it escaped at night, all right? I mean, there's all five hours before he realized that the animal had escaped, and in that five hours, the animal damaged, he was, we don't hold him responsible. Maybe by day you have to figure out within a certain time the animals are seeing him go and get it. At night you don't have that uh, luxury. Or what happened was he was robbed and they broke into the house, thereby creating an exit for the, uh, for, for, for the, for the sheep. But and they went out and damaged. Both cases partner because it's an onus. So known as at night, we don't expect him to have noticed that the animal escaped, or if it was robbers that breached it, we also don't expect him to notice that the animal escaped. Potter is Potter. Now, Hutsia listed, what if the animals, the, the robbers didn't just break the fence, but they have physically removed the sheep? They've, and those sheep that they were trying to steal, they physically removed, went out and damaged. In this case, it's true the owner won't be Chayev, but there will be liability. Who will the liability be on? Uh, so therefore, list in Chayovin. Now, what's the difference between the case before where they broke the fence and then went out? Because there, they weren't Kona the animals. They did something indirectly. It's not their animals. They didn't make a king in on it. When you steal on some level, it ostensibly becomes yours. And therefore, if that animal goes out and damages it, you physically took the animal, then you're liable for the animals. Now, Let's say you locked it up in an appropriate manner, but you left it in the sun. Now what happens is that when the animals heat up, what's going to happen? They're going to start acting aggressively, violently, and therefore what would normally be considered a valid form of shmira now is no longer a valid form of shmira, and there was negligence. What was the negligence? You left it in the sun. Or even a even greater negligence. You left it in the hands of people that are not competent, either person that is a deaf mute, a shota person is an imbecile, or a cotton or a minor. The yachts of Ezekiel, and now in either way the animal got out and damaged, the owner is chaya because he has been negligent. Now, let's say you gave it to a competent shepherd, an adult, competent shepherd, and, and the act of taking it by the shepherd means he now assumes full liability for the action of the sheep that he has agreed to watch. With me so far? Let's say the animal fell off, your, your, your garden was a little higher than your neighbors, or you're walking in Rosh Rabin, and Rosh Rabin was, and the animal fell. Now, we don't expect the guy to be standing within two feet of his animal so he can catch the animal when it falls. So that's considered to be an onus. It's not considered to be something 
that is a negligence on behalf of the owner. So nafla lagina venenis, and it benefited. Either it benefited because the produce broke its fall, or it benefited because the animal went and ate. Right? So now, mashalem is mashananis. We've had this before. All right? We learned before that in, t- in cases where we cannot hold you responsible because you are not negligent, but at the end of the day, if your animal benefits to the detriment of the person that is benefiting from, you at least have to pay what it benefited. Please pay your pay as in the case of you saved a meal, let's say. All right? Save the meal, so you pay for the benefit involved. You don't have to pay the full damages per se, because we could say is that it did not have to be the person's choice avocados that it landed on to save, to break its fall, or that it ate, right? You could have been hay or, or, or straw, so you, but you pay based on hay and straw what the, what the benefit was, and therefore there's gonna be some payment made. However, Yardakadarka, the animal did not fall in, but you just weren't paying attention. The animal just wandered off and in its, normally just walked into, waltzed into your neighbor's field, because he can cause damage. In such a case, you are considered to be fully liable and you have to pay Masha not what the benefit was, but the value of what the damages were. Now, how do we calculate? those damages. We've had this before as well. How do you calculate this? So what the Gemara is going to say is that there's two ways to look at it and the Tana is going to actually, it's based on Psukim later on, uh, uh, that there's, there is a leniency on behalf of the Mazik. means let's say there was a row of prize-winning tomatoes. Okay? Now, the animal went and consumed these prize-winning tomatoes. Now, if you just focus on the produce itself, it's like almost the difference like wholesale and retail to a certain extent. But if you just focus on the produce itself, that's going to fetch a pretty penny and you've caused a great damage. But let's say you look at this line, this furrow of produce was within a acre of land. And now you say, what does an acre go for? And what would a person pay for an acre if this line of tomatoes is there or if this line of tomatoes is not there? That reduces considerably the value of the damage that was created because you're looking at it vis-a-vis the land. You're not looking at focusing specifically on the produce. And that's what we're going to say, that there is a leniency offered over here. So let's, let's see this inside. Meaning that the acre of land is not reduced in value, so it, it's reduced so slightly, and that's what you're going to have to pay. That's you're going to pay. So, Kate Mishalom is Mashazika. How do you calculate what the uh, mazik has to pay the owner? Shaman base saw. You take a base saw. Base saw is a an amount, a, a decent size size of land. But also started within that field. Uh, what was it worth having in it the produce that had been damaged? And how much is it worth now no longer having that produce within it? How much does it affect the total property costs? At the end of the day, it's not going to be as much as if what? If you look at it, the value of the tomatoes. Correct. That is the opinion of the Tanakama. Right. Rab Shimon Amar, Rab Shimon says, one second, I only agree with you if the tomatoes were not yet ripe. 
But once the produce is ripened, then you have to look at them independently. So it means you're right. We can look at it as property damage as opposed to produce damage as long as the produce is still needed the ground to, to, to nurture from the ground. So therefore you damage the property, let's view it vis-a-vis the property. But if it is ready to be picked, then what? Then you have to look at the produce on its own and it's going to be a much greater payment for what the damage was. That's Rav Shimon's opinion. He says, If you ate completed payros, ripe produce, then Mishalem is payros, you have to pay complete the value of the complete ripe payros. Im saw, saw, and if, it complete, and if it's a consumed, they saw with the payros, you pay a saw with the payros. Im saw, two saws, two saws. You don't have a right to measure it vis-a-vis the land, you need to focus on. When does he agree with the Tanakama that you do look at it vis-a-vis the total damage of the land? In what case? Where the produce had not, not yet ripened. Let's go weiter. All right, Tanra Bonun. Now, our Mishnah said that the person is not liable if the sheep were brought into the pen and locked Kuroi appropriately. What means, what does it mean appropriately or not appropriately? So Tan Rabbanu Ezu Kuroi, Ve'ezu Shalok What is appropriate or what's not appropriate? Elos, if it's a door or a gate. Shechol, Lama, Baruch Matsuya. That can stand up to a normal wind. Zezel Kuroi. But if it's not even able to stand up to a normal wind, that's not considered to be a proper uh, locking of the animal. Now, we already discussed this earlier in the Masechta, and we talked about the fact is that it's considered to be a lesser Shmira. A lesser Shmira is that it can stand up to a normal wind. A higher level Shmira would mean you'd have to take into account that what? Sometimes... There have a Ruch Mitsuya. But according to the ton of our Mishnah, the level of a Ruch Mitsuya, which is a lesser, is sufficient to remove liability. And that's why the one wants to show who the author of our Mishnah is. So Amr of Mani Barpatish, Mantana Muad, who holds a Muad? Now remember, in our Mishnah, we're dealing with a Muad situation, even though we're not dealing with Karen. Karen is a difference between a Tom and a Muad. In our Mishnah, we're dealing with Regal and Shane. Shane is if it eats the payros. Shane would be if it lands on the payros. But you're dealing with Shane or Regal causing damage in your neighbor's field. By Shane and Regal, there's no Tom and then Muan. It goes automatically to a full damages, which means what kind of ox are we dealing with when it comes to Shane and Regal? A Muan. So therefore, we have to see who holds that a Muan is sufficient with a lesser type of Shmira. We had a three way machlokas before. Tomorrow says like this. So Amar Rabmani Barpatish Mantana Muad, who is the opinion that holds by a muad, to Sagilebish Mira Bhuso, that holds you can get away with a lesser. That's going like Rabbi Yehuda. That's the sheikh of Rabbi Yehuda. Where do we see Rabbi Yehuda? Uh, because uh, uh, the Stan we learned in a Mishnah. This was a Mishnah that we had on on on, on, on Memhei. What do we learn on Memhei? It says, Kashro Bala Bemosira. You used a rope. You didn't use a chain. A chain would be a higher level Shmira. You used a rain, it's like a leather rope or a, or, or a rope. Alright? Or you lock the door, Kuroi, again, that it could withstand a normal wind, a Ruch Matsuya. The Yatsave Hizik, and it went out and it damaged. Now there we're talking about Karen, okay? It went out and it damaged with its horn. It gored, it gored, and the Kavanosa has it. 
According to the Tana Kama, we're going to see the sheet of Rav Meir. Echad Tam, Echad Muad. Doesn't matter. Tam or Muad. For the laws of Keren, you are Chayev. Whether it's Tam, whether it's Muad. Because he holds it, Rav Meir. Rav Meir always holds that whether it's Tam or Muad, what do you need? A higher level of Shmira. So now the Gemara is saying, well, then our Mishnah can't be going like Rav Meir. Because our Mishnah is akin to a Muad. Why is it akin to a Muad? Because you pay full damages for Shane Varego right away. And yet the Tana of our Mishnah holds that for a Muad, you get a Away with a lesser shmira cannot be the position of of Rav Meir. Rav Meir was not to come over there. Now, Rav Yehuda Omer. He said something we said that again seems to be counterintuitive. You have to go back and read the psukim and how he darshaned it. But he comes out. Tom is chayev. The Tom you are chayev for the lesser shmira. You need to have a higher shmira for a Tom. The muad is potter because you can get away with a lesser shmira. You don't need to have a higher shmira. So it comes out again. However, we are masbered. Maybe by muad people know to watch out. There was different explanations that we gave. But anyway, the point is that by muad you only need a lesser shmira. It's the tam that needs the higher shmira. Now that fits our mishnah because our mishnah again, since we're not talking about Karen, we don't want Shane and Regal, which starts off being muad. And yet the ton of our Mishnah halls, you can get away with a lesser Shmira. Who does that go like? Clearly like Rabbi Yehuda, because Rabbi Yehuda halls in a lesser Shmira works for Mu'ad. All right? So therefore, uh, so, ta, ta, so Tam Chayev, you're Chayev on a lesser Shmira for Tam, but Mu'ad, your partner, Shneema, Adlishman, and Abalav, the Pazak says that you're Chayev, you didn't watch it. But if you did watch it, so the Mu'ad over there, the lesser Shmira is sufficient. Exactly how he dodged him, Sukkim, not for now. Now, Bishamar, that was safeguarded, lesser is going to safeguard it for the sake of Mu'ad. And therefore, but uh, you can get away with lesser. Amish says Tomat Muad, Shane Varegal Muad is also lesser is around from Yehuda. From Lezer over there takes a very strict, very strong line. He says once an animal is a Muad, the only way to safeguard that animal is what? You gotta have a higher level? You gotta shecht it. Rabbi Lezer, Aymer, Ain Lai Shmira, El The only way to do Shmira is with the knife. Which means that the only opinion out of the three opinions that holds that for a muad, a lesser shmira is okay, is the sheet of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda therefore has to be the author of our Mishnah. Says the Gemara, that's not correct. What the Gemara is going to say is that even though by Karen, Rabbi Meir holds that a lesser shmira is not enough for a muad, but the shame veregal, it is possible it is okay. that it will be okay, even though the animal is considered to be a muad, but it's okay when the animal is not intending to damage, but based on what does he say, we're going to see in a moment. So says the moral, because I feel the time, could be the author of our Mishnah, which actually is better to do because stop Mishnah when there's no names in the Mishnah, usually it is Rav Meir. So no chayra, the Rav Meir, some say that actually was, I'm sorry, the Amr Abelazah, the Amr Abelazah, some say Matnisatana was taught in a Brisa. Arbadvarim, there are four cases that a Torah may atabishmirosan. The Torah reduced the level of, 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 of guarding, the liability, responsibility was lessened in four areas. What are the four cases? Eilahain, there's one case of Bor, one case of Sheish, one case of Shein, and one case of Regal. Bor, where do we see this? It says like this. The Pazak tells you that if somebody either uncovers a pit or digs a pit, and the Pazak says, and he does not cover it back up, so then he's liable. So what do you see? 
I understand if it was already there and you uncovered it, the way to guard it is to put it back. But if a guy dug a hole, what, you might think that the only way to really safeguard someone falling from there, you have to fill it back up. So what do we see? We allow for a lesser shmira in the case of boar. You see how that's a lesser shmira? Because you dug the hole. You dug the hole, therefore what? What do you mean you went and covered it? That's not good enough. You made the hole. Kamash Malan, that there's a lesser shmira requirement in the case of boar. So therefore, the person uncovers a pit. A person uh, digs a pit, he doesn't cover it or recover it, so then, if he does cover it, then it's potter, even in the case where he dug it. So therefore, that's considered to be a lesser shmirah. So you have one example by Bor, where you, Torah requires only a lesser shmirah to avoid liability. You don't need, okay, what about Aish? So it says like this, by Aish also, right? Now, the classical case of Aish, we're not talking about where I go over to your fields and I set fire to your fields, right? That's Pashat Yerchayim. The case of Aish is the case where what happens is where I set a fire in my Rishus and it gets gets blown into your Rishus and a damage happens. Now we're going to see what the Torah is going going to prove is that the only time Yerchayim in Aish is if there's negligence. Meaning it's something that you should have expected. The nature of the fire can take it into your... But if you did not do it with negligence, even if a mishap happened, you will be potter. But again, so the point is, that's considered meaning, we're going to see is, you need a... How do we see a lesser shmir is enough? If, it's a, if, if the fire you created has enough protection that a regular wind would... Now, but how do, we see, how, do we see, how do we see it? Because the one is going to say that even though we understand the case is not talking about where I went and lit your directly lit your property. That's not the case. But the way the Torah considers it is that the fire in the way you lit it in your, in your domain was like you went directly, and, which means it has to involve negligence. You cannot say that if someone took into account normal wind or normal, that that's considered to be negligent. Negligent is only if you even didn't do the basic shmirah. So from here you see that for Aish, basic shmirah, would suffice. That's the point that it's giving. So when it says like this, the age, where do we see that age, the Torah is, gives you a break and, and requires only lesser shmirah to avoid liability. You don't have to have the higher level shmirah, right? Where do we see this? Because it says like this, Shalem Shalem Hamavir Es Habeira, the one who caused the, who, who lit the fire that burnt the stuff, he should have to pay. Now, it's calling him the Mavir. The Mavir means literally the one who lit the stuff on fire. He didn't light the stuff on fire. He lit his own stuff and it went into your stuff. So why is it calling it as if he lit your stuff on fire? So there's only liability if we could say it's as if he lit your stuff on fire. The only way you can say it's as if he lit your stuff on fire is there's gross negligence. But if there's no negligence involved, then you cannot say he licked your stuff. How do you take away negligence? Negligence means you showed that you were, there were some safeguards in place. Safeguards can even be a lesser shmira. That's a safeguard. You can't call a guy negligent where he made lesser shmira. It's like he burned your stuff. He didn't burn your stuff. He made a shmira. Something happened beyond the expectation. That's when he's got that. that so that he'll be potter for that. But to say that he has to have a higher level shmira, he's not required to do. That's what we see there. 
right? So that shows us that what Aish is also an example where a, uh, the Torah allows him to go with a lesser Shmira and not require a greater Shmira. What about Shane? The Bozak says that that the animal uh, consumed in somebody uh, else's field. Now the Pazak begins uh, that it says that a person, literally it's mashma, he led the animal. He led the animal to the other person's field and it went and he sent it forth and it consumed in the field of someone else. Again, that's mashma that he has a much more direct responsibility for what ended up happening. Because the way the Torah is describing it, it's as if he actually took the animal and made it go eat, which we know that's not the case. So why does the Torah describe it that way? It means that you did something that was involved negligence that we can look at the act as and if what? So what does that mean? It means you didn't do the basic shmirah. But it's mashmah that if you would have done a basic shmirah, that would work, it would help you. So therefore like this. So therefore, so but it says Bashain, Ubiyar Bizday Akhar, Ad Sha means beer, is going on the person. Beer, the person made it consume in the field of someone else's. Ad the Abid Kain beer means it's only in violation if what you did is considered ne- as negligent as if you took it directly into the animal's uh, the other person's field and caused it to eat. That's by shame. Regularly we have a similar thing. It says Vishilach, you sent the animal into the other person's field. But we know you don't have to send the animal into it can go in on its own. But when going on its own, it's as if you sent it. If you are negligent, then you can say it's as if you sent it. Again, same idea. But if you did any type of basic shmirah, we can't say it's as if you sent it. But you see a basic shmirah suffices. So therefore, like this, Ad Vishilach. So we just we use the word Vishilach to involve uh, Shane, uh, involve Rego, or beer to involve uh, Shane. And the one now takes us all the way back to Dav Bez, I believe it was, that we see a posseg that refers to Shilach as being Rego and beer being uh, Shane. But Tanya, as we learned to the Bryce, of Shilach Zea Rego, and the Chena Omer, like the posseg says, Meshalche Rego, those who send forth the Rego of the Shor and the Chamor, and a beer is a Shane, the Chena Omer, Kashe Yivar Aglal, Atumo, until the tooth consumes completely until its end. So you see the word beer is referring to tooth and uh, uh, right. Anyway, the point is, so we see the Tana of this Bryce that clearly holds is that Regal and Shane don't require a full Shmira, even a partial Shmira. Now, why is that? Because as, as long as you did a partial Shmira, we cannot consider you as being negligent as if you took the animal into the person's field, as if you lit it the, the person's field. That's what that's what it's on. So time the Avid Khabir. It's only liable by Shane and Regal is if we could say it's as if you directly destroyed through your negligence the other person's thing. But Halo Avida, but if you did not act negligently, and you did some basic type of shmirah, well, you will not be chayyab. So therefore, the point we're trying to say over here is that even though Rav Meir understood when it comes to Karen, that by Karen, where the animal has intent to damage, he holds you at a higher level of Shmirah, and both the Tam and Muan require a Shmirah Me'ula, the higher level Shmirah. We just saw here that the Tan of this Brisa, we're saying Rav Meir might agree with it, that by Shane and Regal, which don't have, the animal doesn't intend 
to damage, when Emil trampled or, or, or ate, there the liability is not going to be required of a high-level Shmira. You just require enough lia- uh, uh, Shmira. I mean, the Shmira is not required at a high-level Shmira. The only type of Shmira is required enough that we cannot say that you were negligent and it's as if you caused the damage directly. And therefore, even a lesser Shmira would suffice. So basically, we're saying, therefore, Avmer then could still be the author of our Mishnah, that even though it's a Mu'ad, because Shein and Regal is considered right away Mu'ad, but the Torah only requires a lesser Shmira for it, not the higher-level Shmira. I'm a Rabba. So Rabba says, If you analyze our Mishnayas, you can see that that's, that's, it's really that, that message, the notion is brought out. Why? Because when we were talking about in the earlier parts of the Masechta, we're talking about the damage of Karen, what example of animal did we use? It's a shark. The shark. And now that we're talking about the case of Shane and Rego, it switches to be talking about a sheep. Why switch from shore to sheep? And he wants to say it must be because shore. According to Rav Meir, you have to have a high-level Shmira anyway, because you have to protect it from Karen. But by sheep, you can talk about not having a high-level Shmira, because it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's, uh, it's not something you expect there to be Karen from. And that's why, even though it's Mu'ad, Lagavishen, and Regal, but it's Karoi, a lesser Shmira, is sufficient. So the fact that it switches the type of animal is indicative that, that there is a lesser Shmira required, because you're only really concerned about Shane and Regal. We're not worried about Karen by a shame, by a, even though there could be a scenario of it, but that's not what we're worried about. The Moran says like this. It was, we, in our Mishnah, is teaching about sheep. Till now, in earlier, earlier chapters, we were talking about an ox. So, Nishar, continue talking about, there is Shane and Regal by ox too. Why do you have to switch to sheep? You want to come to Shane and Regal? There is uh, Shane and Regal. Must be that whoever the author of our mission is specifically switched to, 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 to sheep because he wants to talk about a lower regal of Shmira. Ox, you can't get away with a lower regal of Shmira because you have to worry about Karen. So therefore, my Shnod, the Ketanit Son, love, love, is not Mishum de HaTorah, Mieta, Bishmarasim, because when you talk about sheep, which is only a problem of Shane and Regal primarily, it switches the level of Shmira. You can go to a lower level. So love is not mishum de kan keren lok because by sheep you really don't have associated with it the 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 the, the, the damages of keren shein verego really what you have in the Torah is shein verego associated with it so therefore kamash malan the shein verego so it comes to teach me this line actually a very difficult line we're gonna just squeeze it in but it comes to teach me that even though shein verego amuadin even though they're Mu'adin, nevertheless, the fact that we're switching to sheep is indicative that what type of Shmira do you need? You don't need a regular Shmira like you need by a, by a Shor that's Mu'ad, which is a higher level. Even for a time, it could be a higher level Shmira. You only need a lesser level, even though they're considered Mu'adin, and that's a rye that the Mishnah could even follow the opinion of Rav Meir.